Attention all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters. And welcome to MASH Matters. This is the fourth episode of this monumental podcast that is all about your favorite television show, MASH. And it's certainly, well, it was kind of my favorite television show. It was certainly a job. Uh, but we'll get into that in just a minute. I'd like to introduce certainly my partner in crime here. My name is Jeff Maxwell. I did play the role of Private Igor on the show MASH. I used the role uh, lightly. It was more like a biscuit. But anyway. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> anyway, my partner here is Mr. Ryan Patrick. Ryan Patrick is a is an esteemed broadcaster, a marketing genius, an actor, a director, a bon vivant, and mad about town. Mr. Ryan Patrick, how are you today? Oh, are you talking about me? Yeah, that Ryan Patrick. Yeah, you, the other guy. That, that description I was I was listening to, and I thought, wow, that that sounds like a really cool guy. I'd like to meet him. Show business legend. <laughs> <laughs> it means I've been to a lot of movies. You are an accomplished actor. You might as well let people know you are you are an actor and you're in plays and you direct plays mm-hmm. and you were on the radio and yes. now you're doing this podcast. We are all lucky uh, that we are all here and doing this. That's true. That's true. Yes. And uh, hey, and guess what? We actually found somebody who wanted to be on the podcast with us this time. Agreed to do it. Surprisingly. Surprisingly, this is our first guest, Ryan Patrick. This is exciting. Yes, it is exciting. This is very exciting. And we don't even owe him money. (laughs) We will after this is over. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's introduce our guest. Uh, This is uh, Mark Freeman. Hello, Mark. Hello. How are you? And you. Fantastic. We appreciate you being here. We appreciate us being here. We appreciate you being anywhere, really. It's very nice of you to have agreed to be our first guest. Uh, we don't know exactly whether we'll have a second guest, <laughs> but uh, if things go well, maybe we will. But thank you for being here. Uh, well, thank you for having me. And uh, I, I, I hope for all the other guests that come after me, well, if they come after me based on how I do today, uh, we'll have as good a time as I anticipate having yeah. with both of you. Now, I suppose it would be helpful to introduce why you're on the show. Not only are you a very nice guy. But you happen to be an accomplished writer, and you wrote a wonderful article, which I'm sure some of our listeners read, uh, if not all of them read, that appeared in, um, where did it appear, Mark? <laughs> appeared in the Hollywood, Hollywood Reporter. Reporter. I'm kidding. It appeared in the Hollywood Reporter, and it was a great in-depth article about the wonderful show MASH, and it had great interviews from all of the cast members, the writers, producers, and, and everybody that you could get your hands on, including yours truly. I got in there a couple of uh, licks, so I thank you very much. But you did a, a terrific look at a show uh, that people had not done in a while. And so I think it was a wonderful um, a journey that everybody who was a fan of MASH could take and learn something new, not only about the show, but about the people who were actually talking to you. So that was really cool. Can I ask you what? Well, I'm going to ask you. I, I don't have to ask permission. I'm just going to ask you. <laughs> How did that come about? How did you get that idea to do a, uh, an article about MASH? Well, 
it kind of came out of, and, and it'll make sense in, in a minute, but it came out through, I did an oral history of the Smothers Brothers because I was exploring political satire on television based on the times that we live in. And I wanted to look at the birth of it and how it developed. And from that, and based on the reaction from that, I was told what other shows would you want to do? And also in my mind, I had already been thinking of the journey through like All in the Family, MASH, SNL, other shows that had touched on very salient, important issues, uh, but also could could bring the laughs. Um, and so MASH came up right away because I just grew up on MASH. I was like everyone else apparently listening to the show. Um, and I knew that it was the anniversary of the last episode, which was from 83. So that made it was that 35th anniversary mm -hmm. um, of, of that episode airing. And so I just thought I'd test the waters, put my little feet in the water, you know, stick a toe in the water and see if I got a response from the MASH people. And uh, quite the response I got, I have to say. Who, who did you contact first? Well, th that's interesting because there's two ways you can go with these stories. You can go bottom up or top down. And if you go bottom up, you go to the star star and you say, I have everybody who has ever been associated with this show, and it, but it won't have any depth unless you're there. But on this one, for whatever reason, I started with Alan Alda. And I think in my head, I was thinking, well, if he doesn't do it, what's the point? Um, I'll jump off a bridge. But um, <laughs> he said he said yes right away. And that then that just surprised me. And then but but from that, I could then start going to other people and say Alan Alda agreed. And then people would jump on, obviously. And the MASH family is is that uh, it's pretty amazing, actually. I've, I've only witnessed that maybe on one other show, but it's like this family. And so I got adopted into the family uh, and passed around and everyone was just Amazing. When you say family, what what was it that gave you the the sense that this was a family? What what happened? Well, sometimes it was small things. You know, it would be like people mentioning other people that they had just spoken to the other day or that they see all the time, um, and I was just on the phone with. And so, on on that level, is just oh, they keep in contact with each other, and that's kind of nice. But then it would go to depths of stories I would hear of things people would do for each other when people were going through rough times, more emotionally in life stuff, not like financially. And then just the way that people talked about the experience kind of being the defining experience, not just in their professional career, but in a sense in, in their life. And uh, Loretta Swit and Mike Farrell are uh, kind of somewhat the, parents of this thing they, they they're very protective of mash and its people and they talk about it and i don't want to say control it but but they keep the family together uh, it's kind of the mama and the papa at least from my perspective what i see mm -hmm. and that came across when i talked to them i called mike farrell's agent i think it was and figured well i'll hear from him in a couple days and set this all up five minutes later he called me <laughs> and I think we talked for like two hours. I was taping it. I was smart enough to do that. But he was just so enthusiastic and uh, uh, about the show and everything about it. And he, he's such a great guy. And and uh, we we picked up uh, and several more times about that. And I, I taught him a couple things on the computer because we were, I was trying to 
sent him the tape of our interview, I, I think it was. <laughs> and he was trying to send me a poem that he had written about the show, uh, kind of a more freeform thing. And so, um, I don't know, did, did that answer your question or was that just like battling away? <laughs> No, I, 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 I'm always interested and in, we started out this podcast kind of talking about that, uh, because, um, starting from the idea that, that Ryan is a great fan of the show and I necessarily wasn't a great fan of the show. I became part of the family and it became a, a very, um, uh, significant part of my life, but I didn't start out being a fan of the show because I wasn't watching it that way. I was watching it and like Ryan has said, I was looking at it in segments. So you do go in and you do something for 20 minutes and you sit around and get a sandwich and go back and do it again. And that didn't create that kind of uh, bond that I think everybody else got when you watched the half hour from beginning to end. So hearing how you got the feeling that this was a family, uh, which it definitely became, is an interesting thing. I, I And I'm, I'm hearing uh, certainly Loretta is kind of the mama bear <laughs> of the show. <laughs> Uh, and it's interesting that Mike took on that role because he came in about four years after the show started, but it was a significant enough thing to him that he really bonded with it and, and kind of became the papa bear of the show as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, what was interesting in his story or journey to the show was he recognized the level and quality of the writing prior to when he was on the show. And he, he had told me some story about, um, I think he was going, I don't remember if it was a double date or they were out going somewhere. And, and he went to this guy's house and, the, and MASH was playing there. And he kind of, out of the corner of his eye, was watching some of it and I believe asking about it. And uh, it basically got to the point that, that, that when he'd be presented scripts, he'd say, well, you know, it's an okay script, but it's, it's not MASH. Uh, even though he wasn't on the show and he wasn't even up for the role, Wayne Rogers was firmly entrenched. But, uh, you know, it was kind of a, a, a dream, I guess, of his to to suddenly out of the blue get called and told that what they're thinking, that Wayne might not be coming back. We don't know for sure, but we want to have all of our ducks in a row. And would you be interested in testing for this and so on? He just seemed so grateful, respectful of the show before he was on grateful for being on and protective after having been on the show. So this article, but the art, the title of the article, by the way, is called mash finale, 35 years later, untold stories of one of TV's most important shows. And it was in the Hollywood reporter. And I believe it was shared and read by just about every mash fan in the world on social media. And we will share a link to the article in uh, in the show notes as well, in case you're the one MASH fan who did not read it. I'm fascinated by these kind of articles, these oral histories, because it's written in uh, such a way that you have little snippets under different themes. And what I'm hearing you say is these interviews that you were doing with cast and, and crew and the writers and, and everybody, some of these are, these interviews may have lasted a couple of hours. How do you go through then? and decide what to take and what to leave out. That's where the wine comes in, because uh, <laughs> I have to do the transcript. So, you know, it's like the master files of everybody's conversation. Then I pull from each of their conversations what I think are the best things they're saying, which I know will be cleaned up. And I put that into a file. 
and I, and then I don't want to lose that file. So then I take that file and I break it down. And what I'm doing as I'm going from file to file is I start to categorize things or, oh, here are all the people talking about favorite episodes or here are all the people talking about practical jokes or censorship, I mean, areas of conversation that I had brought up. And then you get to that point where you realize uh, part of the unfortunate thing in articles like these is you're often given a word count. So it's not the life of the piece deciding how long it is. It's the life of being told how long it's going to be. And so you have to start whittling down. And then the, the killer part is if I'm going to randomly say if it's a 5,000 word article and you're at 7,000 words and you realize I really like it at seven, but I know I got to cut it down to five which means I basically got to cut almost 30% of where I'm at now. And that's where the hard cuts are because there's a lot of great stories that never make it or see the light of day, such as uh, with, with MASH. There's so many stories that are there and more that I could have delved into uh, if I had gone even deeper and uh, had the time. So was there any story in particular that you wish you could have included that you weren't able to? It was all uh, about me, wasn't it? Something about me? I yes. Mean, a, something about me and, I don't know, there were animals involved? Or, I don't know. I don't remember. The oral history of Private Igor is the next article. I was, I pretty, you know, I splayed my guts open to you. I did. I told you the truth from everything, and I don't, you know, some of it I didn't see in there. It's okay. That's for the oral history of Jeff. That's a, that's a different right. article. <laughs> So uh, a, a couple come to mind, and, and the simple reason um, became length, because there was no way to give a truncated version of the story. Um, there's the what was referred to until Mike Farrell gave me the whole thing. It was, it was called the Attenborough story, uh, as in director Richard Attenborough. It was a practical joke played on all of them by David Odkin Stiers, who apparently like to play a lot of jokes. Uh, but, but this is prolonged in the sense, if you want, I can tell you the story now. Please, yes, please do. Yeah. All right, settle in, kick up your feet. Here, here we go. But uh, <laughs> uh, it was lunchtime in the commissary and Harry Morgan, Jamie Farr, Mike, uh, I think one of the cameramen and a crew member, they were sitting at a booth uh, shooting the ball, as, as Mike called it. And he said at the end of the meal, when they're finishing up, this line of waiters comes over with this fancy new dessert in this soft serve. It's a soft serve yogurt in these fancy goblets. Um, and they kind of make a big deal and a big presentation about it. And when they're done, they say compliments of Sir Richard Attenborough, who was shooting a movie at the time on the Fox lot. So it just happened to be at that moment that they notice at another table, Sir Richard Attenborough. Um, and he's eating with a group of people, probably from whatever movie it was he was working on. And so everybody at the mash table booth turns and, and they wave to him and they say, you know, thank you, Sir Richard and so on. And they don't get any kind of response and he's on, he's across the room. So then they kind of do it again, a little louder. Thank you, Sir Richard. Thank you, sir. And he again ignores them. And then Harry Morgan stands up and, and he yells and he, he, he says, thank you, Dickie, uh, in a big voice, bigger than what I just did. He's like, thank you, Dickie. And then again, like no response, maybe a weird glance. And then Mike kind of is looking around the room and he sees in a corner, David Goggin-Starr is just laughing. 
just laughing and laughing. And he realized in that moment what exactly had happened and that they'd all been had. And so he said, um, he was telling everyone at the table, okay, you know, we gotta, let's, let's bring this down. And, but he wanted to get him back. So in the moment he wanted to get him back. So he then tells the waiter, um, to take the check for everything and, and give it to, to David. So they bring the, the check over to him and David, a few minutes later, he's leaving the commissary and, uh, Michael kind of runs up to him. And, and says, you know, I didn't really mean for you to pay for the meal. I just wanted, you know, to get back at you in some small way for humiliating us. And he says, oh, oh, it's okay. I signed Gary Berghoff's name to it. And, uh, <laughs> and so, and then of course you're going to think the story's over, but no, there's more to the story and you can see how long the story is, which is why it never made it in. So Gary's not working that day. So Mike kind of realizes that he'll have to explain to Gary what happened uh, with the bill. And the next morning, they're shooting some scene, I believe it was, in the OR. And he talks to Gary, and he arranges this thing to get back at David with Gary. And, and he says, I want you to come in really angry about the bill, and I want you to have death in your eyes and you're going to kill me and we'll do all this. And, and David, it'll, you know, he'll have to come in and chime in and confess and so on. And so Gary is totally up for it and they're doing this scene. And I think Loretta and Jamie are in the scene and he just bursts in and, and he starts yelling um, them. He's like, you son of a bitch. You had no right. How could you? And he's uh, chewing right and left, every, you know, everybody out. And then they, uh, one of the two of them said, let's take this outside. And so they said, sure. And they storm off the set and they, they go off and they're like kind of gesticulating off to the side. So nobody can really hear what they were saying. And I guess David comes running around the corner at this tough point when he realizes what's going on. Uh, at that point, Mike has Gary by the collar and he's lifting him off the ground and Gary's like <laughs> shaking his arms and legs. And then, of course, they reveal, you know, he gets paler and paler and he sinks to his knees and then they just start cracking up. And then he realizes what happens. And he said something like, never again, never, <laughs> never again. Uh, oh, man, that's great. That had to inspire one of the episodes of the, the series. Uh, there was an episode, I believe it's season seven, uh, An Eye for a Tooth, where Winchester orchestrates a series of practical jokes between Hawkeye and uh, BJ and Margaret. Uh, and one of the jokes is that a pie is sent to Margaret on behalf of a handsome chopper pilot and... Suddenly there's a big, uh, big to do about it. And it sounds to me like this whole ordeal uh, inspired that plot line. You know, that's a very interesting point. I hadn't even put that together. There was the, the episode I was thinking of, if I have my episodes right, was a uh, preventative. I think it's preventative medicine. It's one where where um, BJ and Hawkeye um, are trying to see who can best each other in terms of practical jokes because, and, and, and Jeff, you would know this more than anybody. Uh, um, I, uh, like I was told there were a lot of practical jokes on, on the set, which is what inspired that episode. And that was making me think that's what came to mind first, um, when I was thinking about this, but, uh, I hadn't even thought about that. 
You're a very wise man. Yeah, there were a lot of things on the set that that inspired, and I'm sure you talk. You could talk to some of the writers. Yeah, I know you talked to Ken Levine and so forth. But uh, a lot of things that happened with individuals and with people, and uh, certainly they even the writers would throw in their own stuff that happened to them into the plot lines. But a lot of things that happened on the set kind of wound themselves into the, some of the stories as well. So it's it it, ne- it never stopped. I have to make one correction, too. It's The Joker is Wild. It wasn't preventative medicine. It was The Joker is Wild, which grew out of the jokes on the set. Some MASH fan would want to kill me. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of being a MASH fan and being on the set, you told me, you reminded me of a story that you told me originally that I'd forgotten, that we met a long time ago when you were just a wee boy. This is very true. So, So my dad, we moved to California. My dad worked in marketing for film. And so he was on the 20th Century Fox lot at the time. And, and occasionally I would have the opportunity to bump into somebody or get in to watch something being done. I got to watch a Irwin Allen movie being filmed, not Poseidon Adventure, beyond Poseidon Adventure, beyond. the sequel that Ooh. nobody ever saw, <laughs> in which I remember Sally Field uh, improvising holding a handlebar and then shaking her hand because it was hot. <laughs> so that's acting. Wow. Yeah. That's big. That is big. But in the, what, what happens is, and, and David Isaacs, one of the writers on MASH, uh, I had, I wrote to him when I was a kid because I wanted to be a writer and he wrote back. And I always thought if I ever meet that man, I'm going to tell him that. And when I realized I was, everyone was saying, Oh, you talk to Jeff. And I was like, I get to talk to Jeff. This will be great. And I, I knew that's the first thing I'm going to have to tell him because on the set in between shots, uh, I got to go to the mash and watch mash being filmed. It was the nurses episode. I didn't get to see the nurse throw the chocolate against the door, big, uh, vat of uh, chocolate sauce, uh, in the helmet. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> I was just watching set up in different things and, and Jeff was in his OR gear all in whites and he looked at me and he, he, he did cross-eyed, you know, all kids <laughs> laugh at cross-eyes. So, uh, I remembered that and, and I carried that with me for decades. And, and then I was like, I have the chance to tell Jeff that his cross-eyed <laughs> impacted me and the rest of my life. Wow. It all comes full circle today. Yes. Full circle <laughs> warms my heart to hear that my eye problem really kind of bonded us. <laughs> Funny accident. You know, it was when I was there uh, waiting for shots to be set up or whatever, I was really attracted to the to the guests because they were kind of standing there waiting for something to happen. And usually it wasn't terribly exciting when they were setting up a shot or doing something. So anything that a guest could see that was, you know, a little apart from the norm might be some well, somewhat interesting to them, at least I thought. And so I would try and goof around and I any audience that I found, I was on top of them immediately. So anybody that walked into the to the set, um, I tried to have fun with and tried to help them have fun because normally it was a little dull if something wasn't going on, really. So that was what, you know, I see a young kid over there. And so I thought I could, you know, make a funny face and it worked. I'm glad. But you ignored my brother because you did nothing to him. <laughs> I didn't like him very much. I, you know, you could tell right away. Nothing. We had nothing in common. Forget about him. Uh, I actually have one follow-up question on that, which uh, you could elaborate on, because one of the things that came across in talking to people was uh, on the Fox lot anyway. Math 
MASH, math, that's a different show. MASH became a destination point where a lot of people who were working on the lot would come visit. Occasionally, you'd have a Prince Charles come and visit. Yep. But um, that a lot of people would wander onto the set, invited or not. I, I know in certain instances, uh, I was told one of Harry Morgan's good friends was Ralph Bellamy, and, and he would show up from time to time, and that was somebody who was a buddy. But I think I was also told like Jane Fonda was hanging around once, um, not invited, just because she's Jane Fonda. And uh, she adored me. She just adored me. I couldn't couldn't keep her away from me. It was just <laughs> it was hard. Uh, it was. She's a sweet girl. Did you give her the cross eye? <laughs> well, I, exactly. That's what happened. She just she just flipped. You know, um, I was able to meet President Ford. Because he was a board member. I think he was on the board of 20th Century Fox, but he came on and I was thrilled. I'd never met a president. And, you know, he was a very, very, very charming guy, as a matter of fact. And when you meet him in person, you could see why he was a good politician and why he was so appealing, because he was a very friendly, appealing guy. Um, he didn't come across that way on television. <laughs> but boy, in person, he was a very engaging guy. And they took a bunch of pictures, and I have a friend who took a Polaroid of President Ford and myself, and I took the picture into the dressing room, and I changed clothes, and I was—I had something, I ran out or something, and then I came back in, and my outfit had been taken away, and so the picture. Oh, no. Yeah, somebody lifted my picture with me and President Ford, and I have no idea why they would want it, but they took it. If anybody's out there and has that picture, I will give you a reward. I saw it for sale on eBay the other day. Oh, yeah. All right. I'm bidding. I'm bidding. Am, am I allowed to use uh, to be a potty mouth on this? Sure. Sure. We'll bleep it out if we have to. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because I have a story. It's not just that I want to swear randomly. It's uh, <laughs> It was the Gerald Ford visit. Uh, I was told that, you know, you had to get permission to approach him, and he'd only kind of see one person at a time, and that everyone was really quiet. And stories told to me, they said it was like a funeral and, and no one was speaking out. And they did the scenes but that uh, after he left, Harry Morgan said in this loud, booming voice, how come nobody yelled F in the last two hours? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. I don't remember it that way, actually. <laughs> Uh, I kind of, I, you know, I, I don't think he was, that was quiet. I think he was a really friendly guy. I remember it being quite, uh, quite, uh, you know, raucous almost. I don't know. Huh. Interesting. Well, years go by and things remember. Friend, friendly, I was told. Yeah. Yeah. I was definitely told friendly. Yeah. Very friendly. Very friendly. Interesting. I have to understand a little bit about your attraction to MASH. So when you were nine years old, were you attracted to the show at that point, or was it just something to go see? I I was faithful. I'm trying to – I wasn't there the first year because I, I would have been a little too young at the time. But I think by about year three, I started watching, and, and I was – a devout Mashalik by the end. I had told Loretta that um, in the TV Times of the LA Times uh, for the last episode, Mash was on the cover and I had taken tracing paper and taken hours to trace every single person from that episode uh, onto this one sheet of paper because, you know, that was the level of obsession. It was, I remember Monday at 9.30 the most, but 
you know, you're doing school, you want to escape to a world. Um, I don't know why I chose to escape to the Korean War, but I but it was the people. <laughs> I wanted to, <laughs> to escape to the characters, and I felt this kinship with them. And, and w what you tend to find, at least for me personally, with shows that really mean something to you, you retain more of the show than you even realize. And when I'm interviewing people, when I was interviewing people for MASH, they'd start to say something and say, hmm, you know, I think it was this episode where, and I'd complete the sentence, not that I had researched that or even thought of it, it just, the, the episode popped into my head, very natural because I had stored it away for decades. And, you know, it, it was it was huge. It was one of the, it was, it was definitely a go-to and it was there all the time. Um, in the awkward years as I was uh, going. And, and on a sad note, too, I mean, MASH was coming on. I was having my mom click channels from Monday Night Football because my dad had just left the room. And we were changing the channel. And in changing the channel and watching MASH come on, my brother came running in to say that John Lennon had been shot. And I, and I remember, like, while the whole thing going down, um, thinking, well, maybe he'll make it, maybe he'll won't. You know, you, there were no details. And, and I was not there when Howard Cosell, I think, announced that he had indeed uh, passed away. But um, I remember MASH being associated with that. So there's my one sad MASH memory, I guess. Mm -hmm. Wow. But, you know, when you really like a show, you and, and syndication isn't necessarily in your world as prevalent as it is now or instant on demand, the next week's episode couldn't come fast enough you know so you were a big mash fan and I, I we need to find a good name for mash fans by the way you know like star trek has the trekkies or trekkers we need a we need a good mashers or i don't know something uh listeners let us know what you think that should be um but you were you were a big mash fan um so were there any any particular episodes that that uh, stood out that resonated with you or maybe characters that resonated with you from from your many years of watching i think I wouldn't say there's any particular episode. Uh, the, the cast all kept um, going back to the interview. You know, you ask them their favorite episodes, and then and you don't lead you don't lead the witness. But a lot of them eventually, I honed in on two or three shows for them because I would hear it over and over again. For me, um, I I could go wherever the show went. So in the later years, when they did the POV episode or the Dreams episode, which are either interesting cinematically or kind of pushing dark envelopes uh, that fascinated me but they weren't necessarily my favorite episodes I, I think the relationships the relationship of like Hawkeye and BJ the, the relationship of Frank and Margaret or, or them getting theirs you know the evolution of, of Margaret I, I think there's a in, in the psychology I'm, I'm not gonna go all you know, Freud on, you know, there was, there was an element of a, like, uh, you see the way Hawkeye and BJ connect and you kind of wish you have somebody like that in your life. I'm not saying I did or didn't at the time, but you, you know, just somebody who really gets you that you connect with that is empathetic and supportive of a crazy situation that you're in and that you have this bond and kinship, which would go beyond war or whatever. So the jokes they would play probably as a kid, I wasn't as much into the flirting with the nurses thing um, until, you know, I got to around 12 and strange feelings started to come into my body. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when when Harry Morgan came on, it was a very different vibe than McLean Stevenson, similar to Mike Farrell, to Wayne Rogers. And that was pretty amazing because then it opened up a whole new envelope to the show and different emotions because you're responding to a different character and how they see the world. And 
So I, I, I think, you know, the old soldiers episode that I do mention in the article, mm-hmm. I think there's an element of, of, of that where off screen, Harry Morgan is, is, is kind of summarizing his relationship with uh, the actors uh, while playing that role. And I think that kind of connection uh, viewers to a large extent, the, the faithful viewers um, had with a lot of the MASH crew and, and felt that. And so I don't know if there's favorite uh, guys supposedly love top 10 lists and everything. They always post articles about that online. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I could pull a favorite. I think there's a lot of great episodes in, and, and there's probably a couple in there that, that weren't my favorite, but that's okay. You know, they were exploring and they were doing. Exactly. Do you think that the your appreciation of MASH and these uh, relationships, as you discuss, uh, helped motivate you to become a writer? I, I think uh, I, I think it taught me certain things, um, which were uh, I, I learned in time that when I was writing in my voice, some more fictional stuff, I had a very good ear for dialogue. And it was because I gravitated towards watching intelligent TV sitcoms, um, Mary Tyler Moore, Bob Newhart, uh, MASH, All in the Family, uh, where it was very natural dialogue. I don't want to call it intellectual humor. That's what I was saying, intelligent humor. But hearing that all the time, you start to pick up rhythms of uh, conversation, rhythms of jokes, of set of punchlines and rim shots and, and, and how to tell a joke without a punchline. And, and, you know, I told Ken Levine and David Isaacs, I was so excited to talk to them because growing up, there were two sets of writers that were pairs in cinema. It was uh, Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel who did Splash and Volunteers and movies like that. But I, I used to always notice them in the credit run. And similarly, in MASH, I, I noticed for the time they were there, and in part because they were a pair, I noticed Ken Levine and David Isaacs. And, and then I'd see them on Cheers, and then I would you know see them on uh, After MASH and um, Frasier. And so... They meant a lot to me without their ever even knowing it just on a credit roll because I watched those things. I saw who was writing and it just was. Um, and that's why in general, it's always exciting to me in these articles to talk to the writers because they're the ones who put it out there. You know, they find the story, they write the story and then they work with everybody works together to put it out. But um, the writing process fascinates me and, and I've always loved talking to them and the MASH writers um, were and are great people like Dan Wilcox. I love Dan Wilcox, by the way. And if Dan's listening, I love you, Dan Wilcox. He's a great guy. Great guy. And and I, I love David Isaacs, too, what I was saying. Uh, and I talked to David Pollack and uh, what was it, Elias Davis and um, Ken Levine. I got to talk to Gene Reynolds, which was amazing. And, and Alan, too, talking to him and Mike about episodes they wrote. So there's just so much there on that side of it. Well, it must be great fun, uh, certainly from being a fan of MASH, and I'm sure you're a fan of the other shows. I know you did a, a great piece on Cheers as well. So it must be really fun uh, after all these years to be able to talk to all these people. I mean, that must be kind of a pinch yourself sort of moment, isn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, there are certain times where, uh, and I know you won't believe this, but it's like, I get excited to talk to you. It's like, I know, I know you, I grew up with you <laughs> and I'm going to get to call you and talk to you. And, and, and it, it's that way. It, it truly is that way for everybody. And then there are certain times where the level is so high. I'm wondering if when I get on the phone, either I'll sound like a first soprano <laughs> or I won't have be able to utter words. Uh, I had a call with Steve Martin. I, I felt that way since we started this uh, conversation. But anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. 
No, they just, they just, and, and like I said, Steve Martin, for example, I was like, oh my God. And he was going to call me. So then I have to sit there and I'm waiting. He's going to call me in <laughs> three minutes. Steve Martin is going to pick up the phone and call me and say my name. And uh, I would tell my wife these stories afterwards because there'd be all these off the record stories and so on. But this one knack that I don't know what it was in my line of questioning, but, but through all the different interviews I've done, I always seem to get people wanting to sing <laughs> and uh, I, I got Rob Reiner to sing. I got, I, I believe I got Steve Martin to sing. I, I can't remember who else I got. Uh, I got some people on the mash crew to sing. And I was like, I don't know why, what, what is it that I say that makes them want to break out into <laughs> hey, song? Ryan, I don't, I don't know. Do you want to do the Jolson medley now or should we wait? <laughs> we'll, we'll save it. We'll save it for the end. A big finish. Okay. All right. You know, I think what you're talking about, I think that excitement is, is part of the magic of show business. It's part of the magic that that brought me into the world of show business and wanting to be a performer. Without that m moment that that just explodes in your head and gets you excited that somebody's going to call you, you're going to talk to somebody, it wouldn't exist because that's what gives us the uh, you know the spark and the fun of this whole this whole entertainment concept. Otherwise, it just could be kind of dull. Uh, but but I think having that because I felt that as a kid. Uh, my big favorite uh, guy was Jerry Lewis. And so as a kid, I grew up thinking, oh, my God, Jerry Lewis is the greatest creature on earth. And I went, I got to go to the set to meet him. And I almost passed out. I mean, I just couldn't breathe. It was like, I'm <gasps> the Lewis person. It was very, very difficult to do. I'm glad I didn't pass out. And he was very kind. And he invited me back to the set. And I used to go a lot, take my friends. And they all go, wow, you know, Jerry Lewis. But but without that excitement, I wouldn't have done it, and I don't think anybody else would have either. I, I don't think I don't think there's an actor or a comic or a singer or anybody alive that hasn't experienced that spark. Because without it, I mean, why do it? That's the kind of the fun of it as a, as a human being. That's what's so uh, enjoyable about it. So let me ask you a question then. Yes. <laughs> so they say in general. It's very important because of the time we put into our careers on a weekly basis to love what you're doing and it makes the time pass and it fulfills you and so on and so forth. And clearly you've loved what you're doing. But when, when you were on MASH or say when you were on the Young Frankenstein set and so on, did you have those moments where going back to the pinching, uh, you pinch yourself and you're like, I can't believe I'm on the number one television show or, or the most, you know, highly acclaimed television, one of the most highly acclaimed in t television history. And I'm on a Mel Brooks set. I can't, I'm on a Mel Brooks set, you know, what was that like? Did you get those moments? Uh, yes. And Ryan and I have talked about this in terms of MASH. I did not get those moments on MASH. Uh, MASH to me was a job and I loved the job and I loved the people. But it was it was pretty much of a career and a job, actually not necessarily a career because I was doing other things as as well. So it was basically a job. And again, I love the people. I but I didn't get that pinch yourself moment there. I did, however, seeing Mel Brooks <laughs> that, you know, that when he I grew up watching him. I didn't grow up watching MASH. So he was a, you know, he was a, he was a huge attraction to me because I was so, uh, uh, I was so enamored with what he did and his humor and how he did it. So he was magical to me. Mash was not magical. Um, Mash was, you know, I knew how they did the trick. So 
it wasn't magic to me like seeing Mel Brooks was or seeing Jerry Lewis. So, yeah, I and I keep saying it and and I I don't want anybody to think that I didn't love the show or or love being there. I, I am grateful every single day that I had the opportunity to do it. And I am grateful every single day that I had the opportunity to work with such incredibly talented people. They influenced me a great deal and taught me a great deal. So that certainly is is the truth. I loved everything about it, but it wasn't that magical moment like <laughs> like seeing Mel Brooks. So as I when I was on the Frankenstein set, I was going, "Oh my God, it's Mel Brooks!" And I was pinching myself. Which which you know you you remind me because I was on I was on the Fox lot. I don't think it was the same day as Mash, but I was on the Fox lot, and in the commissary. Carl Reiner was in a corner, but Mel Brooks was at the head of a table. And my dad had done the marketing, worked on the marketing for Silent Movie. And he went over to introduce us. And I had the same moment that you had with Jerry Lewis. Because yeah. I remember I couldn't even really lift my hand. And Mel Brooks, <laughs> he takes my hand and he starts shaking it. And he goes, that's right. That's right. Shake the hand. Shake the hand. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, it's that magical moment. And it's just it's something that I, I love. It's just a, it's. It's life, you know, it just feels like life. Now, Ryan Patrick, you have met a lot of people, I know. And uh, who gave you that? Did somebody give you that moment? Uh, for me, I had the opportunity uh, several years back when I was still working in radio, I had the opportunity to meet Bill Murray. Yeah. And uh, Bill Murray to me, I mean, I, I grew up on Bill Murray movies and Ghostbusters to this day remains my all-time favorite movie and so i had the opportunity to go to a, a dinner where he was being honored and when he walked in the room i just about fell over <laughs> that's great well the thing about bill murray is even though he's invited you never know if he's actually going to show up or not yeah so when he actually walked in the room there was like a big sigh of relief that he was actually there <laughs> um but i he was just kind of working the room and he walked over to me and I, I really honestly, it was one of those moments where I could not formulate any words whatsoever. <laughs> so I think I came out with like, you're, you're Bill Murray. You're funny is what I think I said. And, but he was very gracious and very kind and took the picture and signed the autograph and everything. And, and, uh, it's, it's a picture that I have framed on the, on the, uh, the, the, the wall here in my office. So uh, that, that was, that was the one for me. That's cool. I love that. That's what I, I think that's, that's the really cool part. That happened to me on the set of MASH actually once uh, Sid Caesar came on it. Oh, wow. Come on the set and he was just standing there watching some scene be shot. And I, I started to fall apart because Sid Caesar is to me, you know, is the ultimate him and Jerry Lewis. I mean, wow. So I thought, and he was just standing there against, you know, leaning against a set, just watching. Nobody was around him. So I thought, okay, I got to do this. And I was terrified, <laughs> absolutely terrified. And I walked over and I said, <laughs> and he looked at me like he'd seen me a thousand times. <laughs> he knew who I was, you know, this guy who was kind of, you know impressed with C.C. So he was very kind and he shook my hand. He said, and then I went away. But it was that kind of moment. It's that, I just think that's, I love that about showbiz. I think that's so much fun to, to have that magic. There is one more story I have to add to it. And it's, it's not a mash story, but it kind of goes in with what we're talking about. And uh, although I didn't know what was going on, which was uh, my swimming lesson with Steve McQueen. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> and, uh, 
it, it's always a conversation grabber if I don't know what to say in a group of people. But uh, we had just moved to California and they had put us up at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel for a couple of weeks while we were looking for a house somewhere. This is they being 20th Century Fox. We were all around the pool and I was told, Steve McQueen, he's out here. Steve McQueen's out here. And the Steve McQueen that I knew was from The Great Escape. So short hair, kind of like maybe slightly graying sideburns, uh, machismo kind of guy. And, and I saw someone like that who was sitting on one of the lounge chairs. And I'd walk by, as anyone would do, walk by, don't look, walk by, don't look. And that was fine. And then later on, I wasn't really swimming at the time. I hadn't learned yet. And I'm sitting there with my feet in the water. And this really cool hippie guy starts talking to me. Long, scraggly hair, mustache and beard. And he's asking me questions. Do I swim? And do I this? And what am I doing there? And so on. As friendly as can be, probably, you know, every every uncle you could hope to have. And I'm having the greatest time. And I, and I go back to when we're having lunch. We had a little uh, table with an umbrella. And I'm, I say to my mom and my sister and brother, I was like, you know, that guy over there, he's so cool. He just started talking to me, me, little me. And I just, and they go, you know, that's Steve McQueen, don't you? I said, what? <laughs> and, they, and, and I said, no, isn't that that guy? And they said, no, no. And he had offered to give me a swimming lesson. So then after lunch, and now I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm having a swimming lesson with Steve McQueen. So he, he held me in his arms and uh, took me out to the deep end. And I was swimming, being held tightly and, and sweetly by Steve McQueen. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Say that again slowly. <laughs> yeah, slowly and tightly and sweetly. If you uh if you go to IMDB uh or somewhere else, if you look up the movie um Enemy of the People, which is what I believe he was shooting at the time, he was staying at the Beverly Wilshire because he uh as told to me later, I think was separated from his wife. His son, who I believe is Chad, was around my age, who he was missing. And he was all scraggly for this enemy of the people role, um, exactly as I described. And as a you know a nine-year-old kid, I'm not going to recognize Steve McQueen unless he looks like Steve McQueen. So, yeah, that was my brush with greatness. Wow. You know, you were nine and Steve McQueen gave you swimming lessons. And you were nine when I crossed my eyes at you. You must have been an adorable little boy, <laughs> for gosh sakes. Wow. Nine was a seminal moment in my life. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, was, I was a cute kid, and then puberty hit, and then uh, it was all down. <laughs> <laughs> you peaked at nine years old, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, this has been amazing. Uh, yeah. I, I, uh, I just want to start to land this plane here. I have a question for you. You know, this podcast, we, we call it MASH Matters, which – by the way, the title was the brainchild of Mr. Jeff Maxwell. And I, I like it because it works on two levels. You know, we talk about matters that uh, relate to MASH, but also we talk about why MASH matters. So I'll, I'll kind of pose that question to you. And do you think that MASH still matters? And, and if so, why? Uh, you know, I would say that iconic television series and MASH is definitely that uh, will always matter because of the contribution that they made not just on the simple level of entertaining us or making us laugh or taking us out of the horrors of the world around us for a moment, but, but that they, they impacted us on a pop cultural level, be it phrases that you remember, um, times in your life when you look back, um, retrospectively or nostalgically, they stay with you. And, and 
as I said, iconic shows do that. Some of the, the other small ones, like Manimal, probably don't stay with you. But uh, uh, <laughs> oh, our first Manimal reference. Yes. yes. <laughs> but well, Manimal matters you know, too. You know, for gosh sake. I'm going to do their podcast next week. By the way, I, yeah, okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. It's just me talking to myself. Actually, that's what that podcast ends up being. But, uh, <laughs> It's it's just a pod, actually. There's no pod. The shows that I've had the fortune of working on, um, Cheers and Frasier and New Heart Show, Smothers Brothers, All in the Family, they're, they're all important in their own way. MASH, some MASH people like the term, some don't, but it, it did invent the dramedy that term of, of uh, that Larry Gelbart really wanted of laughter and drama side by side, sometimes uh, running right after each other or within the same scene or within the same joke and so on. So you could say on a very simple level, oh, MASH created the, the dramedy or, or the term that applies to that, the feeling of that. But, but like I said, I think on a cultural level, certain shows uh, moved us in certain ways. And I know MASH was incredibly important to my childhood. I don't know if I could uh, wrap it up in a particular uh, word or thought, but it was something that I had an emotional connection to, that I was crushed when it ended to, that I looked forward to week to week, that I reflected on afterwards, that I wanted to watch the repeats again to see if I got something else out of it. And in some ways, I'm sure that's an escape. And in some ways, it was entertainment. And in some ways, it was provocative. Uh, But that's kind of what important cultural things do to you. They, they they make you do all the above and you retain them and you know where you were when and you remember uh, what you felt like in those awkward years. If it was you were a teenager or whatever, you're going through a divorce or you're, you know, whatever you, wherever you are in your life, you can usually associate TV shows with that. And, and MASH is one of those shows that generationally um, it can transcend. It doesn't have to just be, well, those are the people who grew up at that time. The messages, the themes of the show, the deeper themes and the humor remain universal, which is why people say, uh, and I was told time and time again, that people will come up to people such as Jeff and, and, and they will say, I love the show and now I watch it with my child or I watch it with my, you know, uh, children or however that is. And, and so it just, it, crosses generations because of the universality of the message and the hope and the humor, I think, built within there. Very well put. You ought to be a writer. I'm thinking about it. You might investigate <laughs> that. You know, what What? What can we expect to see uh, coming uh, next from you? Um, All right. Well, thank you. And that'll be the end of the show. We appreciate your being yeah, good here. Night. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, have you got something? Are you cooking something up that we should be uh, excited about? I, I am cooking some stuff up. Um, I have stuff coming up for Vanity Fair and Hollywood Reporter. And uh, next year, I, I plan to dive into another show or two whose name shall remain silent to protect the innocent and guilty. Absolutely. But uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And, and I will say, not just because I'm on Mash Matters, but I will say that in terms of experiences that I've had in gathering information from people and getting to know people, MASH is definitely one of the one or two best, if not the best. And, and I'm still in contact with many people who took the time, their time to give to me just because 
they're such wonderful people. I didn't want to lose connection with them, such as you, dear Jeff. Aww. And uh, I'm just so grateful to get that chance to share their story with the world uh, and to get to know some of these people personally and to get to pursue writing to do that. Yeah, great. So when you do have new articles coming out, how, how can people stay in touch with you, connect with you? Are you on social media? Uh, I am on social media. Um, I'm not like a popular social media person, but I am on social media. Typically, I'll, I'll, I'll say on Twitter when I have stuff coming out and, and in my little Facebook uh, network, I will release stuff. Um, you can also just from time to time pop my name in and stick it with Vanity Fair or Hollywood Reporter or any publication and my name will pop up with whatever is recent, current. But I like to keep moving, meaning I don't like to be redundant in what I write or produce and or the ideas I have. But I like to constantly be working on something and be percolating about how to present that to people. And in instances such as MASH, even though I'm going to take a little less credit in the end for this, to have the opportunity to present to the world things told in the voice by the people who were there and as they remember it, which also allows inaccuracies if they do exist because it's a memory. I think it's so much more powerful than me saying, and then Jeff felt this. It's like, I'd rather just hear Jeff saying this. Uh, and so to have people open up their lives and feel comfortable enough with me to do that uh, and then me to capture their words and be able to share that, I think it's great that and at any time you can go on to the, was the archive of the Academy of Television and you can listen to interviews from Larry Gelbart and Gene Reynolds and different MASH creators and so on. But for people who aren't into necessarily visual stimuli, you can go online now and you can read a story about the history of MASH, which is very in-depth. And uh, like I said, I have more stories anyway, but still, it's like it's an in-depth look at. And I think it does a good job of capturing from the people who were there some of their thoughts and memories, which is so wonderful as a fan and a writer. Well, you did a you did a re really beautiful job with it, if I may say, and thank you for doing it because it was just a wonderfully received piece of work, and I know you know that. So, thank you for doing that. And my golly, you are just as adorable as you were as that nine year old kid. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you agree, Ryan? <laughs> Well, I, I think so. Absolutely. Even though I've never seen a picture of him in his life. But uh, yes, yes, I, I would agree with that. I still wear the same OP shorts and the uh, IZOD shirts. <laughs> I still fit into them. So uh, there's no reason to change until they disintegrate, I guess, off my body, right? I'll, I'll pull them on one time and they're just like, poof. <laughs> Mark, I just want to let you know, uh, as we close up here, and, and I, I, don't, I don't think I actually shared this with you, Jeff, um, your article and the response to it was really the final motivation that I needed to reach out to Jeff and finally pursue the creation of this podcast. So uh, obviously we have the MASH family to thank for inspiring the podcast, but I want to publicly thank you for providing that, that final push uh, that led to the podcast's existence. Uh, well, that makes me verklempt. I'm, I'm happy about that. I, I think that's what the point of uh, the purpose of writing is, 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 you know, to generate responses like that. And I love to hear responses, um, especially wonderful ones like that. That's good to know that people feel impacted by and have a reaction to 
what they read. That's all really a writer could ask for, I guess, in the end. Well, thank you very much for uh, that. And thank you for spending all this time with us today as our first guest on MASH Matters. H- how was the experience? Yeah, how did, how did it go? Uh, well, it went fine, except you didn't sing. Oh. So the streak is about to be broken unless you break into song. <clears throat> mammy, my little mammy. I walk a million miles for one of your smiles, my man. Okay, I'm not in voice today. I can't do it without my lemon and honey. You're on key, though. You are on key. There's another t- extra talent of Jeff Maxwell we did not know about. He sings. Uh, hey, Mark, thank you so much. Uh, we really do appreciate it, man. Well, thank you for having me. Anytime you want me, I'm, I'm probably just sitting here in front of my computer writing and ready to gab. Well, keep doing it because you do it very well. Hey, and listeners, you can uh, you can write and gab to us. Uh, you can uh, email us through the website, mashmatterspodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter, at Mash Matters. Look for Mash Matters Podcast on Facebook. And you can call or leave a voicemail, 513-436-4077. Jeff, we got our first voicemail this week, and we're going to play that voicemail in episode five, which will be coming in two weeks. A very exciting thing. Everybody stay tuned for that because that's going to be a really exciting voicemail. Brian, thank you. All right. Thanks, MASH, guys. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Bye, I, like I said, we, we yep. need a name. MASH we guys. Name. Yeah, what's a MASH yeah. guy? Mashies? Uh, yeah. Mushies? Mushy? Moishy? How about Moisha? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I don't know. Let us know. See you next time. Mm-hmm.